Welcome to the Weekly Words of Worship podcast. My name is Daniel Innocent. I'm a youth pastor with the Ontario Seventh-day Adventist Conference. And currently, I'm enrolled in Andrews University where I'm getting my master's degree in divinity. I invite you to join me in reading, studying, and meditating on God's word. This study is not prepared beforehand, which allows you to be a participant in the studying process. This will teach you how to study the Bible for yourself, which is the greatest gift that I can give you. Once we begin a book, we read it to the very end. No skipping verses, no reading out of context. Now, sit back in a prayerful state and let's enjoy the day's reading together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this day and for allowing us to be alive and allowing us to be here. And Lord, um, just for who you are and how awesome you are and how great you are and especially how great you've been to us. Truly, Lord, um, you're an amazing God and we love you with all our hearts. And as we come to your word, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would make your word speak to us, um, that we would understand and that um, we would allow that understanding to change the way that we live and we would apply the things that we learn to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last time we spoke about something very interesting and I've been very excited to continue this conversation. Uh, we were reading first, or sorry, not first John, but John chapter one, verse 18, which says, no one has seen God at any time. And we spent most of our time focusing on that, that no one has seen God at any time. But today we're going to talk more about the second part of the verse, which says the only begotten, uh, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father. What is that saying? Okay, so first of all, the only begotten son. We know that there is only one only begotten son, okay? Uh, God has many children, but Jesus is the only begotten, right? So Jesus is uh, um, special, right? He's not like, even though obviously he became a man, but Jesus is also God, right? Um, so it's different, uh, clearly, right? Uh, Jesus is the only begotten son, one of one. There is no one like him in the entire universe, right? Which separates him from everybody else. The Bible says the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father. What does that mean? Okay. Bosom of the father is a, uh, I don't know if this, if this would qualify as a figure, uh, as a figure of speech, it might be able to loosely uh, qualify as a figure of speech, but it, it just means close to the heart, right? Close to the heart. Um, somebody who you hold close, right? Like uh, your newborn baby, how close you are. And when you're holding your baby and just hugging up the baby, or if you just bought a puppy, you know, the way you just hug it up, you love it up. And this is showing the type of relationship that Jesus has with the Father, a loving relationship, which makes complete sense because God is love, right? And the same love that uh, Jesus receives from the Father is a love that he gives to us and so on and so forth. 
So the Bible says the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father or who is extremely close to the father, he has declared him. What is that saying? Okay, so let's bring this verse together. First of all, no one has seen God. So we're talking about the way, um, what is, I'm looking for the word, the senses. Yes, we're talking about our senses, right? Uh, sight is a sense, right? It's a way that we can take in information, our senses, right? Um, sight, taste, um, which ones are it? Sight, taste, touch, smell, hearing. Yes, I think that's it. I think I got them, the five senses. That's right. So the Bible says that no one has seen God, but Jesus has declared him. We understand why we are unable to see God. That's what we covered yesterday. When it says that Christ has declared him, it's saying that Jesus is the one who um, glorifies his name, right? Who preaches his name, who proclaims his name. And remember when we studied, uh, when we studied what is glory, we saw that glory is comprised of three things, God's goodness, the proclamation of his name, and the fact that he will be gracious to whom he will be gracious and he will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. That is what the glory of God is defined as being. And so um, Jesus is now fulfilling that second part of the glory, which is the proclamation of his name. And even though the world didn't see Christ, they um, or not that they didn't see Christ, that they didn't see God, Jesus is proclaiming, he's declaring who he is. So not in, not only in what he does, sorry, not only in what he says, but also in what he does. He declares the Father. How is that? Because Jesus is the fullness of the glory of God, right? What does that mean? So Jesus is the embodiment. So if you could make, uh, let's say you had the ability to make a person out of your wrath or to make a person out of your uh, mercy, or to make a person out of your joyfulness, to take a component of your uh, personality and somebody would actually be personified from it, right? Now, we know that Jesus has always existed. He didn't come into existence, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We went through all of this, right? Ay, ay, ay. I have to learn to put my phone on. Do not disturb for moments just like this. Ay, 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 ay. Right? So we know that. And when Jesus is declaring the Lord, he's declaring the Lord in everything that he says, and he's declaring the Lord in everything that he does. And this is what we are also supposed to do. We declare him. We proclaim who he is by the way that we treat each other. We proclaim who he is by the way that we uh, relate to each other. And that's by love. So Jesus is declaring to us, he's the one who allows us to know who God is. 
Jesus is the one who allows us to know. You know, when I was a kid, very interesting. I It was always easy for me to connect with Jesus. But I felt almost like this type of um, separation with the, the Father and the Holy Spirit just because I didn't really have understanding of them. But Jesus is, you know, easy to understand. We see the stories of Jesus. Um, you know, Jesus tells us how he feels about things and he tells us what he thinks and he gives us messages of encouragement. And, you know, for me, it was just Jesus, 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 right? But when I came to the realization that Jesus is the representation of who God is, it helped me to see that it's not like Jesus is a represent is a representative who is saving us from the person who is actually mad at us, which is a father. That's not what it is. Is Jesus comes on earth and his coming on earth is a demonstration of how the father feels about us because the father is the one who sent Jesus on the mission to rescue us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. The heavenly father wants us to believe in the son, but it's because of how much the father has loved us that he even sent Jesus in the first place. So don't think that this is just Jesus who loves us and not the father and the Holy Spirit. God loves us. God greatly loves us, right? And Jesus declares that to the world. If it wasn't clear before, with the coming of Jesus, it's very clear. You know, sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we're not sure. Um, now, we know, obviously, the Bible says that God is good, and we believe that he's good. But, you know, some of the stories that, you know, you read can really trouble you. You know what I mean? Um, especially when you read stories of God, you know, saying, um, you know, utterly destroy this nation and, and stuff like that. It can really, you know, kind of make make us squeam and squirm. And, and that's because we're not able to see the full picture. Right. It's, it would be it would be like, you know, taking somebody who didn't know anything about about medicine. Right. And imagine they wake up and there's a surgeon working on them and obviously you know when you see the knife and you see the blood and you see you might think that this person is really harming you and really they're helping you and that's the way that i see god right if god um the same way that uh the same way that a gardener knows which branches to to prune so that it can help for the entire tree to grow God is the one who knows that. And I thank God that it's not my responsibility to discern who lives and who dies and who goes forward and who stops, right? The Bible says not even a sparrow falls without God's knowing, without his, um, without his willing, so if his eye is on the sparrow, we know that he's watching us. And if Jesus has come on, onto the earth and Jesus has, uh, has been so loving towards us and Jesus is a representation of God, 
Jesus is God and Jesus was a representation of how God feels about us, then we know that God loves us. Verse 19, now this is a testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? <clears throat> the Gospel of John doesn't give us the backstory of John. We'd have to go to another one of the Gospels to, to read the backstory. And when I say the backstory, I mean like, you know, um, when, uh, you know, Jesus was still in his mother's womb and John was still in his mother's womb and it, you know, tells us the whole story of how they were born, etc. But one of the things that we know about John is that John's ministry was necessary to happen um, for Jesus's uh, ministry to come forward. John was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And the Bible says that John came preaching repentance, right? And it's interesting that this preaching of repentance had to come before Jesus came. And it's even more interesting when we see that the Bible says, now this is the testimony of John. Remember, when the Bible says that he came to be a witness to the light, he came to be a testifier of the light. That is what he is testifying about. He's telling people that there is a light that shines in the darkness. There is a light that breaks the darkness. There is a hope. Remember, these people are in uh, oppression under Roman rule, needing hope. And John is coming to bear that hope and talking about Jesus, who is going to be able to set every single human being free. So the Bible says that this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? They're asking him, who are you? Because of all the miracles that John has been doing, because of all the baptisms that John has been giving. And people are suspecting that John is the Christ. You know, it's interesting. As a spiritual leader, one of the most difficult things that I deal with is um, making sure that people understand that they are not my disciple, they're a disciple of Jesus. And I know that sounds kind of strange because who would ever want to be my disciple in the first place? I wouldn't want to be, you know what I mean? <laughs> Let me follow God, right? I invite you to follow God with me, right? We can hold hands and follow him together. Um, but uh, that being said, anyways, let me stop getting off on the tangent. Let me come back to the point. Um, so they're asking, who are you? Because, you know, as a spiritual leader, you know, um, when you're showing somebody the Bible and you're teaching somebody the Bible and they're feeling that connection to God, sometimes they can confuse that connection to God and assume that they need you to be able to feel that connection to God, right? Because every time that they sit down with you, it's like the Bible is more clear. When they pray with you, it's like they're seeing that things are happening and 
you know, sometimes people get this false idea that for the person that they're looking up to, whether that be their pastor or the person who is giving them Bible studies, that this person is like, uh, you know, so quintessential to their life and to their relationship with God. And they don't know what they would do, you know, spiritually speaking without this individual. And that is very dangerous. That is not a good thing. That is something that I vehemently discourage. There is now one mediator between Christ and man, and that is Jesus. Uh, sorry, there is now one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. God wants to be your mediator. And yes, having somebody to help you with Bible study is fine, but you still need to have time for yourself. Having somebody to pray with you is good, and we should pray together, but you still need to pray by yourself. Having time to come together and to worship together is good, but you still need to worship by yourself. God does not want you to keep coming to me when you hear him calling you. God wants you to go to him when you hear him calling you, because I'm not the one who died on the cross for you. Your pastor is not the one who died on the cross for you. Your elder is not the one who died on the cross for you. Your mom and your brother and your sister and your best friend and all these people who might be amazing people, they are not the Christ. There is only one Christ. And that is who we follow. That is who we submit ourselves to. That is who we become disciples of. And that's why I really, I really, really, really want you to learn how to read the Bible and understand the Bible for yourself. It's so important. It is paramountly important. And so They've come to a point when they're seeing John doing all these things that they want to now make John the Christ. And John does the responsible thing to do. Because this is when spiritual abuse can come in. Power is a very dangerous thing. Power. You know, there's three things that I've seen corrupt people more than anything. Those three things are money, ay, ay, ay. fame, ay, 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 ay. and power. You know, you have to have character and integrity already when you get these things, and you have to hold on to that character and that integrity. You know, maybe... Maybe it's hard for others to understand how the extremely rich, you know, uh, go about life because, um, you know, we still have all these bills to pay. Right? But either way, we all get saved the same way. And so John comes to testify of Jesus, but John does the responsible thing in that when people want to put John on a pedestal higher then the one that he should be on, John doesn't accept it. And we'll see. So they asked him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Brethren, let me tell you something. If whoever it is, a spiritual person, um, your mentor or whatever who you look up to, they need to have this kind of attitude 
and not even just them, but because the Bible says that we that we are a royal priesthood. When you come into Christ, you are a part of his priesthood. Which means that this also applies to me and to you. We don't put ourselves in the place of Christ, but we, we bring people to Christ. And we show Christ in the way that we treat one another. But we never make ourselves the Christ. Because if we do so, then we will be the Antichrist and God's hand will be against us. Hmm. So John confesses, does not deny, but makes it clear. He doesn't say anything ambiguous, doesn't give any parable to where some people might kind of still think maybe that he is. No, he makes it very clear. He says, I am not the Christ. Very plainly, very simply, very clearly. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? You see, they're trying to boost him up. And that's the crazy thing. I've literally experienced this. You know, when you're... Sorry, I just had to drink some water. I chose like literally the worst time to take that sip. But when you're, um, you know, working in the church, let me give you a, for those of you who have never worked as pastors, let me give you a kind of uh, in at, at what it feels like. You know, you get to a, a church and you start preaching and, you know, people start seeing God move. And, you know, people start to lift you up onto a pedestal because they respect you and they like you, Right. But the problem is you're still a human being, just like them, right? You have struggles just like them. And if you allow them to continue to deify you, to make you into a God in their minds, not only are you setting them up for failure because you're leading them away from the Christ by leading them towards yourself, but you're setting up yourself for failure because none of us are able to stand up to that standard that God is. God is the standard. How can you be, how, how am I supposed to be as perfect as God is? How am I supposed to be as wonderful as God is? I'm not even going to try to be. And even after that, they're still trying to boost him up to make him bigger than what he is. You know, when you're being successful um, and people are seeing that you're being successful and that you're not being successful, when you're succeeding and people are seeing that you're succeeding, it's important to remain humble. You know, as people are chanting and are, and are praising you, always remember, that the same crowd of people that chanted Hosanna to Jesus is the same crowd of people who chanted crucify him. Always remember that. So don't fall in love with the admiration of the people, with the cheering of the people, with the adulation and the, and the praise of the people. That's what happened to King Saul, right? If you read in, in, in uh, 1 Samuel, you'll see a story of a man named Saul 
who was from the least of the tribes of, of Israel, Benjamin, who was from the least of the families in the tribes of Benjamin. And he was chosen to be the very first king of Israel. And you see, uh, this exact concept is where he failed. When Saul was being lifted up and put onto a pedestal, Saul never checked himself and he never checked the people. He never um, corrected them to be placed in the place where he was supposed to be, but he got addicted to being elevated. He got addicted to being praised. He got addicted to this feeling similar to worship. Ay, 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 ay. This is the same thing that happened for Satan, right? Satan wanted to be worshiped. He wanted to be worshiped. He wanted to, for the angels to bow down to him too. And Saul is becoming addicted to this praise, to this, to this, all of this positive reinforcement. And then he hears Saul has killed his thousands and David his 10,000. And then, you know, one day a, a giant, well, matter of fact, this actually happened before that. The reason why they were saying that is because Saul, even though the Bible says that he was taller than everyone in Israel, right? The, the next tallest person in Israel, their head would have only reached up to Saul's shoulder. So if there was anybody who was supposed to stand up and fight Goliath, it was supposed to be Saul, right? But who's going to fight Goliath? The Goliath is like nine feet tall. You know, and if you want to know how tall that is in uh, proportion, if you look up on the Internet a picture of Shaquille O'Neal standing beside Kevin Hart, the same difference in height between Shaquille O'Neal and Kevin Hart. And Kevin Hart is like, I don't want to over-exaggerate, but I'm not looking at the picture right now. I'm pretty sure Kevin Hart doesn't even re reach the man's nipple in height. <laughs> Okay, but the same disparity in proportion between Kevin Hart's height and Shaquille O'Neal's height is the same difference in height between Shaquille O'Neal and Goliath. So Shaq would look like a dwarf beside Goliath. Saul was afraid, right? He wanted to praise, but he couldn't live up to it. And the truth is, none of us can. And that's why we shouldn't be addicted to it or to be seeking after it. And unfortunately, when David comes and he fights, he fights off Goliath, he uh, is victorious. Saul hears a, hears a new slogan. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul allows that jealousy to consume him because he wants to be the one on the pedestal. And God takes the kingdom from Saul's hands and he gives the kingdom to David. Be very careful about being addicted to people's praise. Listen, the praise of people is here today and it's gone tomorrow. So John the Baptist does not care about their praise, right? He doesn't care. He's not trying to be lifted up to a pedestal that's above where he is. He says to them very plainly, I'm not the Christ. 
And then he says to them very, well, we haven't even got to that part. But when they asked him, um, what then? Are you Elijah? In verse 21, what does he say? He says, I am not. They say, are you a prophet? He answered, no. He's saying pretty much what he's trying to say is he's trying to say, just, just relax. You see what I'm saying? Right? You guys are always trying to boost, 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 boost. But John is showing his humility, and that humility will leave you grounded. And look what he says. They said, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Being that we only have two minutes left, we're going to leave that portion of the scripture for tomorrow's study. And I want to thank you again so much for your support. And if you've listened all the way up to this point, I want you to know that um, I'm so happy that you tuned in and that you, uh, you know, read the Bible and studied uh, the Bible with me today. And I hope that you would continue to do so. And if this was a blessing to you, that um, you would subscribe and you would make sure that you listen to all the lessons and that you follow along and support the channel in um, whichever ways that you can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again for this opportunity that we were able to um, come together and to read your word together and to learn together. Again, Lord, we commit ourselves to you and we leave you to be our leader. Help us, Lord, not to put ourselves on the pedestal that only you belong on, but to be satisfied, to be humble, and to be willing to continue to do your work and to testify of you and to bring people to you without making ourselves little Christ, without making ourselves into little um, you know, idols to be worshipped by others. Lord, it's, uh, it's easy to become addicted to the praise of those around us and to allow our, our heads to swell. But we thank you, Lord, that, um, that you're going to allow us to stay humble. And we don't want for you to have to humble us, but we just want to remain humble, Lord. We want to remain humble because truly the only one who is deserving of praise is you. So again, Lord, we thank you and we magnify your name because of how great you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow.